we uh, managed to get through the storm. Unfortunately, youth on Friday night, we lost power, so we couldn't have our encounter night. But um, we're lucky enough tonight to have power here for church, so it's all good then and there. But I'm excited to be um, speaking this message, Wrecked for Worship. You can write that down. It's a little bit of a weird title, I know, Wrecked for Worship. But I was thinking about that. I had written down my notes in my phone for a little while, just an idea. And um, as I was thinking about it, the more I started to, I guess, like this idea of being wrecked for something. You see, we look at, I guess, in a negative term as being wrecked as being something that's broken or something that's not right. But in this term of wrecked for worship, I started to ask the question, what would it look like for my life to look wrecked for the things of God in a whole new light? What would it look like for our lives to be wrecked in worshiping and glorifying and honoring God in every single moment that we have? What does it look like to live a life that places Jesus at the center no matter circumstances or situations? Because so often, everyone here, we've been in these places where our worship gets turned to a situation or a circumstance or a thing for periods of our life. But what does it look like to live a life that is absolutely wrecked for anything else other than worshiping God? I don't know about you, but I don't want to be wrecked worrying about things. I don't want to be wrecked all around my life and, and not get the part where God's glorified and not, not be centered and focused on God. I'd rather everything else around my life be wrecked and God be glorified because I think that leads to a successful life. I think that leads to a life where God ultimately has His plan and His will flow through my life like never before. And I hope that would be the same for each and every one of us tonight. You see, we have so many things that we can um, be sold out to in our life. We have, we're sold out to football teams. Any Broncos supporters in the house tonight? I'm sorry about Friday night. Melbourne Storm got the better of you. But right now we can be assured that Titans are definitely winning their game, first game of rugby league, which would be great. But we, we get sold out for state of origin. We get sold out for various things, work, finances. We get sold out for people. We get sold out for all of these different things. And yet sometimes we fail to get sold out for God. We fail to see everything in, in, in its right order and place God at the top of the, the priority list. You see, growing up, I love sport. I have some of the dumbest sports known to mankind, and I can say that because I do them. If you say that to me, that's not going to be well because I will defend these sports. But I, I, I love different types of sports growing up. One of the sports that I loved was aggressive inline skating. You may not know what that is, but that's just rollerblading at a skate park. But we say it's aggressive inline skating because it makes us sound cooler. And um, we really needed something up on the skateboarders because they really were cool. But we did aggressive inline skating growing up, and I know every weekend... Saturday was just aggressive inline skating. It did not matter how hot it was, didn't matter if I was sick, didn't matter if I was tired, didn't matter whatever. I just straight after youth on Saturday up until about the age of 16, I'm sorry to say, but it was aggressive inline skating at the skate park. Pain, it didn't matter, nothing mattered. I just wanted to do that. I was wrecked, sold out for it. And then came along my little thing called bodyboarding. Now, do not call it boogie boarding. Let's just say that. Bodyboarding is when you ride the waves on a bodyboard, and then sort of transitioned into that phase where I was just bodyboarding on the Saturdays, waking up. I'd wake my mum up at 4.30 on a Friday morning so she could take me and my friends bodyboarding before we started school and everything like that. So it affected everyone. It was a family thing. And um, bodyboarding took over my life a little bit. And underwater hockey, as of recently, <laughs> still dealing with that one. But there's so many things that I can draw my attention to in my life and really, I guess, sell myself out to. And there's things in our life that we could sell ourselves out to each individually. Each of us have these little things that 
I guess over time, we, we think back and we go, gee, I've spent that much money doing that, or I've spent that much time doing that week in, week out, and it's almost it's just a constant thing that we do in our worship to things rather than to God. And I was thinking about this, what if I took that passion and like culminated it and placed it all towards God? What would, what would my life look like if I was just to use the passions and, and constantly be aware and constantly position my heart to make sure that worship to God is the, is the ultimate goal. I know that's, that's the ideal for everyone here, and I know that's an ideal for us as believers, but what would it look like if we got intentional about that? Because it's much more than just singing slow songs on a Sunday. We do know that, yes, don't we? Worship is much more than just, Spirit, lead me where my trust is without borders. I almost got the words wrong. But let me walk among the waters. It's much more than that. It's actually a lifestyle choice. It's actually an intentional decision we make with our time, our resources, our talent, our giftings, each and every day to worship God. You see, who we are as believers had better become accustomed to worshiping God throughout our life. I love Acts 16.25. And it's, I love this story because it's, it's a little bit funny. And I like to read the Bible with a little bit of humor. I don't know about you, but I love to read it with a little bit of humor. And um, in this particular verse, Paul and Silas are trapped in prison. They've been put there for preaching the good news of Jesus Christ. And they're both in prison. And um, it says this, About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. I love that it just happened to happen at midnight. (laughs) You see, it could have happened at any other stage of the day, and yet worship was calling them at midnight. Their devotion, their spirit started ringing out at midnight. Their, their urge to worship God started calling out at the most inconvenient time, I'm sure, for them, and at the most inconvenient time for everybody else in that prison cell, because it started at midnight. You see, worship doesn't wait Worship just says, if my spirit is moving me, I'm going to, I'm going to say yes, I'm going to let, let, let that journey begin. And so it's midnight, and Paul and Silas are in the prison cell, and I just imagine it going something like, I just imagine Robbie's voice, you know, Robbie, who sings up here, and he's maybe just like, mm, mm-hmm, I'm trying to do Amazing Grace. That wasn't really, yeah. I was too, I was too focused on trying to get the Robbie part right, that I totally stuffed the Amazing Grace part, but you get my point. <laughs> But I just imagine Paul and Silas doing the whole amazing grace and everybody else listening. And it says that they were listening, the other prisoners were listening, but not that they didn't have a choice. If they're stuck in this dungeon and these two people are singing at midnight in chains in this dungeon, everybody's got to listen. Nobody's got a choice to listen or not to listen. You see, the fact is, when, when we live lives that are wrecked for worship, it will affect the people in our world. Ultimately, they will see our worship, not, not our singing. They don't have to see that. Please, if you're not a good singer, don't try to worship people into the presence of God. But our lifestyle, our actions, what we do, how we treat people, the way we view situations, that will be the thing that people are drawn to. That will be the thing that sets it apart as worship. The way that our focus is on God, even though we're going through the situations and the circumstances. Have you ever found yourself in a situation or a place where you feel more peace under the circumstance than you did before it? Like you feel the presence of God, the peace of God, and the hand of God over your life more so than before that. What is that? How does that happen? That happens when we focus our heart. 
When we focus our heart on God and suddenly we start to worship God through our actions, through our deeds, and it doesn't matter the time or the hour, just like it didn't matter to Paul or Silas. They were willing to affect, affect everybody with their worship that night. They didn't care. But what would happen if that was us? We didn't mind who we affected with our worship. We just wanted to glorify God. We didn't, we didn't mind if people saw that we were believers through the way that we loved others like we want to be loved. That we didn't mind if people started picking up that we were different to other people according to the way that we treated them because of the way Christ has loved us. What would that look like for us to be sold out for Jesus even through our worship? You see, the chains you feel must not affect the worship your spirit produces. And I love that about Paul and Silas. They were in chains and yet they never turned to the chains and go, well, this should shut me up. No, the spirit produces something within them and out of that something they start to worship God. Despite the chains, it never changed their mindset. And so often the chains that we feel change our mindset on our worship or change our mindset on our focus, or change our mindset on what we're doing wrong or what we're doing right, when in reality, the chains don't change anything because the hand of God is who we turn to. Paul and Silas weren't focused on the chains that held them, rather the hand that created them, and that's where their confidence came from. We can't get too focused on the chains. Every now and then, we'll feel like we're wearing them, but eventually they break because of the praise and the worship that our life produces You know what happens after this story? Everyone gets freed in the environment. Everyone in the cells get freed according to the worship that rings out from these two men. Who would be freed according to the worship that rings out from your life? Who would be freed from the according to the worship that rings out from your life? Who would be affected in such a in such a way that their lives would be turned toward God like never before? See, real worship is a lifestyle that seeks to honor no matter the situation, no matter the circumstance. Real worship goes beyond slow songs that we sing at church. It's a choice to be present in the presence of God. You see, there's a great power in honor. And I was thinking about worship, and it's really got to do a lot with honor. So when we honor someone, we give them our full attention, our full focus. They, they have the floor. We are willing to serve. We are willing to do whatever we need to do in order to honor that person. And I've been looking at some stories and I've realized that God is actually attracted to honor. The power of God is actually attracted to honor. Honor for God always precedes a move of God. Always. If there's no honor, there's no move of God. But when there's honor, there is always a move of God. Hebrews 13 is, uh, sorry, Matthew 13 is a great uh, example of this. Jesus returns to his own hometown, and we know the story where he comes into his own hometown, and there's no honor there for him. There's no, there's no outright need for him, apparently. They, they start to say, is this the son of the carpenter? And they start to get really familiar with this man we know as Jesus Christ. And the word says that he is unable to do many miracles among them, according to their unbelief. See, they weren't willing to honor God through their worship. They weren't willing to honor God in the way that they were uh, doing their life. And it, because of that, it stopped God from moving amongst them. The presence of God was there. The presence of God is here. But it doesn't mean that he can move within you. See, we can stand in worship, we can stand in praise, and we can be in the presence of God. And yet we will never be moved by the presence of God until we learn to honor the presence of God. You see, we can stand in the presence of God week in, week out, 
And yet if we never turn our attention to the presence of God, then we will never be moved by the power of God. The truth is, God is everywhere. He is omnipresent, which means He never gets FOMO. He never has any fear of missing out God because He sees everything. And um, He just follows everything. He, he has no um, problem with knowing what's happening in our world. Sorry to scare you there, but He doesn't. But He, he is everywhere. His presence is the same every day. It's here. But why do we only feel it sometimes when we walk into church? Maybe because of the honor and the intention that is placed on the worship here. Maybe because of the honor and the intention that's placed on the word and the praise here. Maybe that as we stand here, we feel something different because suddenly our attention and our focus is on God. When it's been that way throughout the whole week, on Monday it's the same, Tuesday the same, Wednesday the same, all different times of the day it's the same, the presence is there. And yet when we come to a place of honoring God, then we, then we see the power of God. Then we see the breakthrough of God. Then we feel the presence of God like never before. We live, work, and breathe in the presence of God every single day. And yet we only have moments sometimes when we really feel Him working. It's simply not enough to be in the presence of God. The presence of God becomes powerful in our lives when we seek to honor Him intentionally. We have to honor Him intentionally with our lives, with the way that we love, with the way that we um, include others on the journey. We have to honor Him and be intentional about the way that we conduct our life. Have you ever been talking to someone and realized that they weren't talking back to you? <laughs> it's a pretty funny experience. But we've all been there. We've in those situations where maybe you've had a big day. Maybe you've been the person who's not listening. Or maybe you've been the person who's trying to have a conversation. But you're, you're talking to this person and you're trying to have a conversation with them. And you're looking them in the eyes and you just see them glazed over. And you're like, I'm just talking to myself right now. Have you ever tried to like say something just to see if they're awake? They just say, throw in a really random sentence and see if they have any kickback there. But you see, the person is standing there and they're present. They're before you. Their body is there. Their presence is there. No one's home. <laughs> no, nobody's home. It's really awkward when you're the person who's not home and you just laugh and it's not a laughing moment. Have you had that before? I have. But you see, my point is, I hope we don't get like that with God sometimes. Although we do, we have to make intentional decisions to be aware of His presence so that we don't glaze over so that, we, so that we're not just like on that machine mode, yes, God, yes, God, yes, God, awesome God, praise God, praise God, praise God, worship God, worship God, worship God, you're good God. We just start saying all the right things, doing all the right things, and yet there's no heart-to-heart connection. There's nothing happening. We're not receiving anything new from the conversation that we have with God. So we need to be intentional about our worship. I love a story found in Luke chapter 7, 36 to 44, and you can turn there now if you need to. But basically what, what happens in this story is Jesus is in a town, and while he's teaching in this town, he gets invited by one of the Pharisees, Simon, to come to his house for dinner. And I love what happens in this story because it just highlights for me what true honor is and what true honor through, through worship opens up 
over somebody's life in this story. There's two characters. There's one named Simon, and there's one named the sinful woman. She's not named. We don't know why. Maybe it's because they didn't want to name her um, out of mercy. We don't. Not exactly sure, but she's just named the sinful woman. And of course, there's Jesus. Um, but this story um, is the only, st- it's specific in the details. And I think it's specific in the details because it wants to highlight for us what, what honor will do when we pour it at the feet of Jesus. And in Luke 3, uh, chapter 7, 36 to 44, this is what it reads It says, When one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house. And reclined at the table. A woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. So she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. As she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisees who had invited him saw this, he, he said to himself, Is this man, If this man were a prophet, he would have known who was touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. And then we go to verse 44 to 50. Then he turned toward the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I came into your house. You not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my, on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little, loves little. Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. The other guests began saying among themselves, who is this who can forgive sins? Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. I love that story. Let's focus on Simon for, for a moment. Simon's a prestigious man, a religious man, a man who's looked up to by society. Simon's a fairly well-off man. He's hosting Jesus for dinner. Jesus has come to his town, and Simon, I guess you could assume, he, he's trying to get a gauge on who this Jesus guy is. He's heard things about this rabbi, and so he invites Jesus over to his house. Now, it's clear that Simon has come, he has invited Jesus to be in the presence of Jesus. He's invited Jesus to have, uh, to have a meal with him in order to assess who this man is that, that, that calls himself the Son of God. And Simon in this, in this moment, he, he's having his, his dinner party, he's invited all of his friends, and um, the custom back then was if a rabbi was eating at a house, everyone could come over. It was literally just an open invite. And so people are flooding in, people are coming through the door of his house as he's eating with this rabbi, and people are, I guess, waiting and waiting, lingering around, trying to work out who this Jesus guy is and what message he has. And Simon's invited him in, and there's customs that would happen because of having someone over at your dinner, at your dinner that, w- that should take place if you were to highly honor them, something like and Jesus mentions them, giving them a kiss as they walk in, having somewhere to wash their feet, and giving them a fragrant oil for their hair. If you were to highly honor somebody as they came into your house, that's exactly what you would give. But Simon, he just does the bare minimum. He just has Jesus over, and he has dinner with him. Doesn't provide any extras, doesn't go over and above with the honoring, doesn't seem to do anything else other than just what he needs to do. And sometimes we find ourselves looking like Simon in this story, because we should always place ourselves in, in characters in the, in the Bible, not just the ones that we like, but also the ones that we, not, we don't so not much like. And Simon, I guess, can be, the, can be us. 
when we just come into the presence of God without really being in the presence of God. We can stand here in church, we can stand here in worship and in praise and never really engage because of a situation that's on our mind. Or maybe we're assessing God. We're assessing God like Simon's assessing God in this story. He's trying to work out who is this guy and what's he really teaching. And sometimes we can walk in here sort of with a chip on our shoulder and we can go, God, I want to hear breakthrough about this. I want to hear a word from you about this. And why haven't you moved in this way? And we start to assess God according to how we think he should act and how the way, according to how we think he should move amongst us. And if we're all honest, sometimes we do that. Sometimes we, we can come in here or there's been points in our journey where we've become assessors of God. We've started to ask questions like, God, you should be moving here, but you're not. Why? Or God, I want you to do this, but you're not. Why? And we stand in worship and we start to place these things before God and try to hammer them towards his, his focus as if he doesn't even know what we're going through. We start to say, maybe... Maybe God can't work out in this. Maybe he doesn't want to do this. Maybe he doesn't want to break through for me. Maybe, maybe he's just forgotten me. Maybe he's, he's not even in this with me. And we start to assess God according to our expectation, just like Simon assesses him to his expectation. But then there's a sinful lady. And this lady's different to everybody else at the party. She has a history. People know her background. People know what she's been doing. A lot, of people, a lot of scholars believe that she was a prostitute at the time. And simply being there was a, was a bad move but on her part. Simply being there meant that she would have been getting filthy looks. She would have been downcast. She would have been the, the person put to the back and sort of everyone's trying to forget that they're actually in the room with this rabbi. She's causing a little bit of a scene there for the people around. But she's so desperate for Jesus. She's heard about his teachings. She's heard about the, the words that he's been saying. Maybe she's heard through friends, but she knows that Jesus will be at the house of Simon, a Pharisee. She knows that she needs to go into a room where she's not welcome, not invited. She knows that she needs to go in there with a label over her as the sinful woman, but she doesn't care. She goes there with an intention just to be in the presence of Jesus, but to be present in the presence of Jesus. To be present, not just in with the crowd, as everybody else was, as Simon was, but to be in with Jesus. Not to be seen to be in the room, but to actually be in the room, to be in the presence. And she doesn't let her, her labels or her past or her history or anything get in between that. And she walks into the room. The Bible tells us she gets there early. Man. <laughs> and we make it late sometimes to church. She's not even invited. And she gets there early to greet Jesus. Because Jesus says, you've been kissing my feet from the beginning. Which means she's been there from the start. She gets there early. She, she, she doesn't care what anybody else says. She doesn't even care what the homeowner says. She's just behind Jesus. The scripture says it. She stands behind Jesus. She lowers herself to Jesus' feet and she begins to cry. Now, it says, the scripture says that Jesus is reclining at the table. Body facing Simon, reclining, 
and his feet would be behind him. That's how they recline. Their feet would, it's just a lot comfier. You don't want to be reclining with your feet in front of you. So the standard was the feet would, would stay behind the person who was reclining at any given table. So the focus is not on her by Jesus' part yet. And Jesus and Simon are having dinner together. Everybody's watching. But there's something that happens with this woman. She begins to cry. We're told that in the scripture. She begins to tear up. And as she begins to tear up, her tears hit the feet of Jesus. Now, Jesus' feet haven't been washed, so you have dust all over your feet. And what happens when you have dust and water? Mud. So she sees the mud all over Jesus' feet. She sees that Simon hasn't honored Jesus. She, he, he hasn't gone over and above. He hasn't gone to what she thought would be expected of having such a man of God in, her house, in his house. And so she sees the dirty feet and she does something that places her well below everybody else, even though she was considered well below everybody else. She takes out her hair. Now in that culture, you wouldn't do that. You wouldn't just take out your hair as a woman. It was, just, it was seen as, really, you just didn't do it at all. And she begins to dry Jesus' feet with her hair. A little bit gross, if you ask me. But she begins to dry Jesus' feet with her hair. See, there's the tears I want to highlight for us right now. The tears. And then there's the kiss. So she starts to dry Jesus' feet with her hair, and then she begins kissing Jesus' feet. What does Simon say? He says, wait a minute. Don't you know who that woman is in his head? Because he's assessing what Jesus is doing. Don't you know that there's a woman behind you who's unclean, and she's now kissing your feet? If he, if he was really a prophet, he would, he would know that that woman is unclean. See, Jesus is making a statement by allowing her to kiss his feet. He's saying, I'm not, I'm not made unclean. This woman may be unclean, but I'm about to, uh, nothing can make me unclean. I'm the lamb of God. I am the hope for humanity. I am going to restore this woman right here, right now, to a perfect place in the eyes of God. I'm about to forgive what you won't forgive. I'm about to see, you're about to see breakthrough before your very eyes. And Simon's assessing the situation. Jesus his focus up until this point is still on Simon. So he's had his feet washed. He's, getting, he's been getting kissed on the, on, the, on the feet now. And then the perfume. Like I said, you would provide perfume for the person as they walked in your house. So she realizes that Jesus needs perfume. And so what she does is she, she opens up a bottle in an alabaster jar and she pours it over Jesus' feet. I love this part because this is a part that really, really opens it up. She was a prostitute. She carried, they, scholars believe she carried the perfume in order for her business. When the moment came, place it on, ready to go. But in this moment, she turns something from her past and she pours it at the feet of Jesus. She takes her brokenness she takes her weariness, she takes her, her sinfulness, she takes everything that she's been judged for in this moment, and she begins to pour it at the feet of Jesus. She takes the scent of her broken past and places it at the feet, at the feet of Jesus, and because of that, she receives forgiveness, she receives breakthrough, she receives a word from God. What does Jesus say? Then he said to her, your sins are forgiven. 
And the other guests began to say to themselves, who is this that can forgive sins? And Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Only Jesus can do that. Only Jesus can be in a moment, can be, be getting, I guess, unclean by this woman in everybody else's sight, can have this commotion happening behind him, to have the very thing that this woman used for her brokenness be poured at his feet and restore it into full wholeness. Only Jesus can take the scent of your broken past and turn it into a scent of freedom and hope and joy and love and, and, and grace. Only Jesus can do that. She didn't care what she looked like. She wasn't welcome, but she was willing to honor God despite everybody else not honoring him. She was in the room. And you know, we live in a world that won't honor our God. The question we have to answer is, will we? We live in a world that won't openly honor our God, but will we be people who openly honor our God? Doesn't matter what anybody else says, doesn't matter what people say, doesn't matter where we go. Our lives would be a reflection of honoring God and what that looks like. I just see her as pouring that perfume, thinking, I'm done with the past. I don't need this anymore. And I'm pouring it at the place that only I know where to put it, back to Jesus. Because only he can take my brokenness and make me whole. Isn't that our story? Jesus says, those who have been forgiven much, love much. We've been forgiven much. Each and every person in here has been forgiven much. Let's be people that love much. Let's be people who attract the power of God. Like I was talking about, Jesus' focus wasn't on the woman until he turns to her after she has done these things. See, honor attracts the power of God. It says that Jesus, it says, then he turned in verse 44, then he turned to the woman and said to Simon. See, his focus is now on the woman. And he brings hope and restoration and power in that moment. Simon received really nothing other than just a moment. This woman received breakthrough and peace and prosperity and so much more because she was willing to be wrecked in worship. Wrecked for anything else. Wrecked didn't matter what was happening, didn't matter her labels, didn't matter what people thought. Man, wouldn't that be a place to live? Wouldn't that be a church to be a part of? that just has people wrecked in worship to their God, knowing that we can break open the past all at Jesus' feet and expect that we receive complete redemption, complete wholeness, complete love, and complete grace every single time. That is a life I want to live. That is a life that honors Christ. That is a life that is in the moment, not just present, but in the presence of God. Can I pray for us? Dear Lord and Heavenly Father, I thank you, Lord, for the ability to meet tonight. And Lord, I just ask that you would open up our hearts, you would open up our minds, you would open up our understanding. Lord, where we have failed to honor you, where we failed to devote our lives to true worship, Lord, I thank you, Lord, that right now something's being birthed within us. Lord, that we would value your word again for those who have 
who have strayed away from reading your word. Father, I thank you, Lord, that right now just a new hunger for your word will develop within each and every person. In fact, everybody here, a new hunger to read your word, a new hunger to see the things that you have for us within your word, Father God, a new hunger to see your words come to life, God. Lord, for those, Lord, who, who just want to experience more of your power, Lord, Lord, I thank you, Lord, that we would just be willing to step out and honor you despite what the world tells us, that we'll be willing to step out and do some things, Lord, that glorify your name, even when other people say, what's happening here, God, we would say that you would be glorified. Lord, I thank you, Father, for your presence here tonight. Lord, I just ask that you would challenge us, that you would make us bold, but Lord, you would challenge us in ways that we can better honor your name in this house. And that breakthrough would increase all the more. That, Lord, the increased word that you have over us would wash over us even all the more, Father God, as we learn to honor your word, honor your, honor your presence, God. That as we learn to place ourselves under who you are. God, for every person that feels like they carry brokenness right now, I thank you, Lord, that they would just pour that out at your feet like this woman in the story. And that, Lord, the scent that used to, rec- that used to be recognized for its brokenness and its, and its disorder, Lord, you would bring complete wholeness, complete grace for that, God. God, we thank you for your presence tonight. We glorify your name. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen.